Hello and welcome to season two of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident Monday to Friday with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of TBD Conference. Interviewing powerful people is easy, but that's not the mouthwash way. Instead, we're exploring the less obvious elements of power this season. What's really driving the world? What's working behind the scenes to help keep the wheels on? Who's messing things up? What's hard and soft power during a pandemic? Who's got power? Who wants it? How do you get it? We're exploring it all. Joining me every episode is a smart cookie of my choosing, and tonight's cookie is none other than Seafood Julian Hitch, master of Wing Chun and author of Winning Not Fighting, Why You Need to Rethink Success and How You Achieve It with the Ancient Art of Wing Chun. Welcome to the show, Julian. How are you doing? I'm very good, Paul. Thank you very much for having me here. Excellent, excellent. Before I chat more with Julian, let's talk about where we are and how you can get involved. Twitter Spaces is still a beta product from Twitter, so let's explore it a bit. On the mobile app, the top bit is called The Nest. That's where I or any speaker can post tweets like the ones you can see. Mouthwash uses this to discuss them in a section called Desert Island Tweets, which comes up at the end of the show. You can click through to follow accounts, links, etc. It's pretty handy and a unique feature to Twitter Spaces. You can see all of your faces and the speakers are at the top. Spaces allow up to 11 speakers at a time, including the host. So you can still have a really good chat with multiple voices, but it's not a free for all and a nightmare to manage. Request the mic in any space you want by clicking the mic in the bottom left, although at Mouthwash we're more of a show format. So we take questions via the hashtag, hashtag Mouthwash show. Uh, you can click it in the title, the blue one, save your fingers some uh, tapping. That's a new recent feature. Twitter's already uh, thinking about monetization and has included a slew of new features so if you're interested check those out uh, you know they're serious about spaces if you look at the bottom right of your phone screen you'll actually see some icons some dots some people heart etc the dots are where all the settings are so you can turn on captions and other accessibility features should you need those and please do if you uh, if you want uh, right okay time for a bit of audience participation let's share out the space please join me and click the icon on the right the staple with the arrow pointing up if you click it and then you click uh, share via tweet you'll actually create a tweet and if you just say live now or something like that uh, you'll be able to uh, tweet that out to the masses and you they will uh, enter the space and that's a good thing uh, because actually for every uh, person that we bring on uh, into the space today um, ecology are going to uh, plant a tree in the TBD forest um very very easy to sort of understand what ecology do they make offsetting carbon footprints super easy and you can find out more about them over at ecology.com that's e-c-o-l-o-g-i.com whether it's um for personal or your business elliot and the team over there are great partners and i'm really proud that tbd have um uh, been longtime partners uh, of them and our forest is well over like seven thousand trees at the moment so we're doing we're doing all right um thanks also to shell for sponsoring the show shell's recently published a target to be a net zero emissions energy business by 2050 or sooner obviously that's in step with society find out how shell is powering progress over at shell.com forward slash powering progress Okay, time to shower Julian in a disgusting amount of emojis. If you click the heart button with a plus down the bottom, you'll begin showering him while I tell you more about Julian. And please don't stop until the end. All right, have everyone found that? I'll just show that I've got the two fingers up, if that makes sense. Um, okay, 
So, ready, steady, go. Sifu Julian Hitch is world-renowned master of Wing Chun Kung Fu, a Chinese martial art that originated from the Shaolin Temple that focuses on softness. The first ever Western Todai, son of the legendary Grandmaster Maidai Norbert, Julian is a huge believer in its power to re-establish the flow and balance of daily life. His first book, Winning Not Fighting, Why You Need to Rethink Success and How You Achieve It with the Ancient Art of Wing Chun, is co-authored with Leon C.I.O. Uh, John Vincent. Uh, Julian worked extensively with Leon, um, a healthy fast food chain, um, and helped them not just save millions of pounds, but also reduce mental fatigue in the workforce at the same time. Julian isn't a martial isn't just a martial arts uh, master, though. He's also owner of his own Christmas tree forest company and runs his own Kuhn based in South London. Travelling around the world to demonstrate his skills while consulting with massive businesses, Julian is an expert on how Wing Chun can be effectively applied to modern life and business. Thanks for joining us, Julian. What was the first Absolute thing you thought pleasure. of when you woke up this morning? What's the first thing I thought of? Um, oh, I had an interesting morning. I woke up um, thinking I've got to get my daughter ready to, uh, to go out and have fun. Ah, oh, that's excellent, excellent. Um, how has the last 18 months been for you? It's been a weird time. I don't know if you've heard that there's a pandemic on. I said I had a dualistic experience of it because um, sort of 50% of me thinks I think there's much better ways of managing it and we should be doing more proactive yep. things. So for me, there's been sort of frustration, I would say, in that part. In the other side, I've actually been very grateful personally for it because it's given me a bit of time to focus, get more clarity, work on the things I want to work on. So it's been, I'd say, very good for me mm. personally. So I have that dualistic experience. Oh, that's good. Um, okay, the marvellous uh, Ray from Grass People Tree, a stellar tea company I urge everyone to look into, uh, introduced us way back before uh, buttons on shirts were started socially distancing themselves. Um, the book wasn't out then, um, but let's talk later about that. Tell me, what was the young Julian like? Huh. Um, I was, yeah, I was a combination. I guess you, depending on which age you would take me. So I wasn't very happy between the ages of sort of 10 and 16. I felt schooling quite um, not a nice place mm. to be in. But I found Wing Chun at 15. And after that, I really knew that was the purpose that I wanted to go in the direction of my life. So that was profound for me, at which point I became very driven. So it was a, a combination of like, happiness at finding what i wanted and then very driven oh interesting i didn't know you started it so young um so how how did you get started with it um and why why wing chung in the first place do you know what there's there's like an an obvious question to that and a less obvious question mm. to that so the obvious answer is i met my first teacher when i was at school he was he was this sounds very wrong now but um he was actually doing a demonstration in the changing room of all places um and i just happened to listen and get really interested, go along and go, that's it, I'm doing it. Um, as to why, do you know what? I think when you start to really understand your motivations as to why you want to do something, I think you really got to go and understand more about your childhood. Mm. So for, for mine, mine was kind of a mixture of really idyllic because I was I had this uh, Christmas tree farm, as you mentioned, that I took over, um, very outside. But at the same time, not much love in my family. Mm. Um because my dad was old school. He was born in 1927. So um, you kind of had this sort of combination of you don't realise you're wanting love from someone. Um, so that that kind of gets you into trying to prove something and do something. So I guess that was 
part of, the, part of an underlying motivation for doing Wing Chun very unconsciously, I'd say. I understand mm. it now. Before I talk about the book, you did mention the Christmas tree uh, business there. It's um, your own, your organic, your fair trade and that sort of thing. Uh, why did you go de- decide to go down that route? I mean, my, my dad started growing Christmas trees in Bromley um, in the 1960s. And when he retired at 89, it, we had a choice. My sister was never going to take it over. And I just love what nature brings to it. And I think it's quite, for me, it's quite similar to Wing Chun. So I think they're mm. very linked. It's just being outside, being natural. And for me, that's, that's, I thought, well, I've got this opportunity to either, either let it go or I say, actually, can I do something with it? Um, I definitely say it added complication to my life because obviously when you take over a business, um, particularly a family business, it's a bit mm. harder. But um, also, do you know what the thing I really loved about it was the happiness that you see of everyone at Christmas. For me, it was the, the trees and the growing were nice, but you just see sort of the best side of humanity. So I, it was always something that brought quite a lot of joy to my life. And I just wanted to continue. Yeah, I, I agree with that around Christmas. I must admit, as a young person, never that bothered about Christmas, really. It was just sort of like a very cool day where things were given or, you know, that sort of stuff. But as an adult, I definitely feel like I'm getting more from it or I put more into it and that sort of thing. And the, I don't know, it's it sort of flips on its head a little bit. But yeah. Right. Let's talk about the book because I want to dive in uh, and make most of the hour that we have. What made you write it? Sure. Um. For years, so I do, I've, I've basically spent my career looking at Wing Chun and seeing how could I take it to different arenas. So I, I started teaching military personnel when I was 21, and then I started close, teaching close protection. I always felt Wing Chun had so much to offer this world, but it wasn't really being... It's quite hard to communicate because ancient wisdoms, particularly from the East, are quite hard to communicate yeah. in the West. And I thought, okay. getting interested in actually i feel like the final frontier with it was business um so i'd always had that in my mind and i've been sort of going over it for some time and then when i met john vincent from leon um we i started teaching him and we used to train in this um in his uh little gym in his house and we'd have these big post-it notes that would stick on the walls and john used to work for bain um and as a management consultant and he would go, this is really interesting, this principle, because this is very similar to what we did at Bain. And so we'd, we'd started looking at how we, the sort of how we organise those principles into a way that we can systematically use. So between John and I, we, we, we had all the wisdoms and then we just spent four and a half years putting the book in order to kind of do it, not just as a, not just as a wisdoms of winter, but something that how we can make it tangible. So there's obviously like any book, there's a, there's what you don't put in as to what you put in and how you order it. So that's that was, and we we yeah, say that's that's why we got out. We felt there was a lot we could share that we'd learn. Okay, um, I put a link in the the nest at the top, but I urge people to grab a copy of the hardback book um, because you will read it multiple times. I know I have. Um, not only um, it's helped me curb some very unhelpful language, but it's also helped me challenge some basic business assumptions that I'm still flabbergasted actually that I picked up through nothing more than um, osmosis or copycat behaviours of when I was young. Um, language is an important part of the book, though, right? That's that's correct. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what what the sort of main messages of the book are when it comes to language in the boardroom. So the biggest thing is we've really picked up this language of war. 
So we've, we've, it's basically become synonymous. If you, I, I honestly don't think there's a day that I go by that I don't hear someone referencing life or business like war. And so the question that Wing Chun poses um, is, is that helpful and is it true? And what you find when you actually explore that, it's neither, um, because it's a metaphor. And that metaphor has real repercussions because when you start to understand well-being, you start to understand that how you think has a profound impact on your body. Like our thoughts release chemicals. And when you think of business like war, what you're doing is you're putting yourself on a footing where you're always effectively in a fight flight. So you're switching your nervous system from a parasympathetic rest and digest to a sympathetic um, fight flight. And now there is a reason we have a fight flight response, right? But to be on it all the time is fundamentally unhealthy for us. I mean, you lose years off your life for a start, but it also doesn't help you in business because if you think about all the things that we know, particularly in the last 18 months, what do we need? You need to be creative. You need to be adaptable. Um, you need to be able to think differently. You've got to be able to move calmly but fast. The thing about being in fight flight is that doesn't work. It shuts your gut. It gives you tunnel vision. It shuts down creativity. So just by having this, because if I if I wanted to motivate everyone now, I'd be like, right, everyone, this is what we've got to do. We've got to take this out. You can short-term motivate like that. But the thing is, business is rarely short-term if you're if you're in a boardroom, right? You're, you're thinking longer-term. Yeah. You, you've got to go more than that. And, you, and John at Leon actually had to have a profound change because when he took over, Leon had nearly collapsed. And you can't keep pushing people all the time because you, are, you will burn people out. And this language of war does that. It's also a really misrepresentation of war because if you look at actually armies, even when they're at war, most of the time they're not fighting. Mm. So it's, it's not really helpful there. And secondly, if you start to say, okay, well, I need to destroy my competition. I need to beat everyone. So, okay, how does that work? And they go, well, I mean, are you actually like, literally going to blow up the building? Clearly not. So how are you going to do it? And, you, and then you get back and you go, well, really, I win and beat my competition by being the best I am. Leon doesn't try to be McDonald's. Actually, Leon tries to be Leon. And so when you're focusing on being the best you are and you're doing internal focus, not external focus, you change from an external enemy to an in internal way of winning. Mm. And it has, it has profound repercussions because there is no real use. I mean, you can see what's going on in the market, but there's no real use in trying to beat anyone else. You, have, you win by being the best you possibly can be. Mm. Um, the Art of War has obviously sold millions um, of copies and is regularly quoted as a must-read business book at um, schools and that sort of stuff. Why, why should people not think of business as war? When did we lose the parity of trade? I mean, the first thing is that was obviously written for war, right? So it's not a direct correlation. So when you're taking your China, it's a bit like saying you can use you can use anything, anything as an analogy. You can use sports for business. You can use anything as an analogy. Yeah. But it's it's just not accurate. That's the that's the biggest challenge. Uh, it's it's there's some things that are helpful, like it would say if you know yourself and know other people, great. I mean, Wing Chun talks the same thing as the first principle. You've got to know yourself. So there's things that are helpful, but ultimately that way of that more Machiavellian way of thinking about things, it doesn't bring the most important thing you need, which is trust. 
Uh, and, yeah, definitely. And so, so you yeah, so I'm, so if you're looking to build something and you're a business that you want to last in the long term, you ultimately need your team and the people you work with you to trust you. And you don't want to be looking at them as an enemy. And it's quite interesting because I've done lots with, um, you know, with like top law firms. And I'll go in there and you'll see how ruthless the internal culture is and how it is absolutely destroying their business. The churn and burn, when you work out the maths on it, it's yeah. crazy. You've got people working 120-hour weeks just because every time they have a, um, an intern come in, that then costs them 250 grand to, to become to go through their training contracts, and then they will never promote them, then they lose them. I mean, they're working all hours just to pay for something because they've got that culture that isn't working. So that, that way of building up trust is a fundamentally different way of seeing things. It's crazy, isn't it? When you, when you look at the math around um, replacing people... I am often aghast with what people are actually put through based on like, well, of course that would make them leave, you know, and that's the thing. The math alone of replacing people, even at a, a junior job, is still not just their salary. It is like way more than that. And yet people are still, you know, being harassed, being uh, asked to work long hours, all of that sort of stuff. And often for very little um, uh what do you call it payback other than sort of you know a pat on the back and that sort of thing i think the future of work is something that i'm definitely more interested in since the pandemic i'm, I'm on the board for the global tech advocates and we're focusing on that for example but i think what's really interesting is when you think of soft power and the amount that sort of people can get from it i want to talk about soft power a little bit later but tell me about the book um it focuses on four doors that contain eight wisdoms can you explain what that is for people who are listening and sort of the general flow of the books it's not your usual sort of flow is it no, it's not. I mean, essentially what it is, is it's taking you through four different stages to effectively empower you. So it's saying, OK, how do we take you from where you are now to having a life that ultimately I think what most people want is more harmonious and more effective. Right. Um, and what Wing Chun says, so there's a few different stages. The first stage um, we call the Sionim Tao, which means the way of the little idea. And it's essentially about teaching you two main principles principles which are the first thing is knowing yourself and it's it sounds kind of obvious but if i was to ask you paul i mean when you were at school how many times did someone ask you paul um who are you tell me who you are and how do you feel about what's going on i mean how often did that happen in your sort of schooling uh not very often i was more asked who do i think i am <laughs> <laughs> right no, right exactly and if you think about that, so what we've got is a fundamental challenge for society because we're used to being told what we should be and what success should be. But we're never. But as we all know, that's individual. But you're not very often given the tools to find out what is it that I'm truly what do I truly feel comfortable with? Where's my natural power? Where's my natural instinct? So what Wing Chun said is, look, to, to, to have life that is effective and harmonious and empowered, you've got to start with looking at you. And it's the part that's painful because most of us go, no, no, we want to externalize. We want to look at something else. But when she said, no, if you can get over that internal one, the influence and power you have is unbelievable. So it starts by taking you step by step how you do that. And then the next principle was about staying relaxed, um, possibly the hardest thing to do, particularly in uh, corporate jobs. Um, but fundamentally, again, how important is that? And for health, what we do know is, when you again look at the statistics of people that become managing partners of law firms or or things like that, um, I mean, quite often they're, they're dead within two years of retirement. So then you have to question, 
is it working? Like, is the way that I've forced myself through, has it, has it been successful in the end? Um, and so Winchon says, okay, let's find a more sustainable way of getting the outcome that you want. And the next thing is when you understand yourself really well, um, and we jump in at various points, right? Because some of us have more self-knowledge, some of us have less. Mm-hmm. Um, it then says, okay, the second door, because we're talking about mid doors, because they're like doors to your development. And it's like opening up a, almost a new world. So Winchon takes you through these stages. And the next, the next one is called Chumku, which is seeking the bridge. And it's then about how from this space of being really clear inside, you then connect effectively with others. And this is more where you start to go into that soft power concept. So it's how do you, how you engage with the world? How do you interact with others? How do you get the best out of others? The third door is called Buji, which means flying uh, fingers. And it's, it's about freeing yourself. So it's about letting go of those limitations. And I say physically when I teach people, it's what's quite interesting, if a person, there's no limit to the skill that you can develop someone if that person had no mental limits, like nothing, no inhibitions, nothing holding them back. So what you realize is most of the problem is never physical. It's, it's these limitations that we've picked up either from childhood or experiences or self-talk, and they're holding us back. So at beauty level, you're able to let that go. And you're really, truly sort of in your power. You're that charismatic person in a way that's your own unique charisma and it's where you can sort of achieve the pinnacle of the success and what whatever that means to you the fourth door is not that the fourth door goes beyond that it's when you no longer need the success it's when you just get to a point of harmony Uh, most people don't really want to get to the fourth door because they're they're enjoying the journey in the third um but that's where it's it's taking you through what's interesting about all these forms in winter is they're done in a very different way because rather than just being theory, which is which is great, and, and, and knowledge which and beliefs, which all really, really have their power. But what Wing Chun says is when you're stressed, you just don't remember them mm-hmm. and they don't come. So what Wing Chun wants to do is physically, by training you, you we say your, your hands uh, you train your brain, you start to respond very differently. So as you go through these different forms, your perspective on reality changes and your perspective of interactions change. So you just see the world differently. And when you see the world differently, you get different results. So that's why these doors became very potent as it became a physical way of you going, okay, I know much more. And I say it gives you the tools to deal with, with challenges as they come up. So it's essentially, Winchell's a very practical um, for me, wants to give you what you want and then try to get you to that state of harmony. John writes in the book about um, whatever happens is your advantage. Um, I know that wasn't your chapter, but I did really want to speak about it. What advice um, do you have for people who struggle to see or do this? Yeah, that's, it's, it's, a, it's a really good, it's actually a winter principle, whatever happens is to your advantage. Right. You, you, you have a choice in life, right? And that choice is your perception your perspective and how you want to perceive something. Um, and it's why I told you that I had the dualistic uh, way of looking at um, the way of looking at um, the whole situation. Yeah. Because you, you, you ultimately have the choice, which is you have an idea in your head and you have to understand reality. Reality is not our thoughts. We get so attached to thinking that our thoughts are reality that when they don't happen, we have a, a massive problem with it. Your thoughts can never be reality. They can be an idea. Your thoughts change all the time. And how, how does that help? Well, 
I, if I take my example for me, I certainly had a lot of different plans that I had. Um, our book had obviously just come out at the beginning of it, so we had loads of tours and everything's signed up. None of that happened. And when you write a book, as, as you know, Paul, you kind of get six months of intense publicity. It's not happening how you planned them. It, it doesn't help you. You have to say, okay, we're here now. We have to accept what's in front of us. And do you know why I said this in terms of physical? Because in winter, the, the fact of the matter is, if you worry about punch, you get punched. Mm. If you don't worry about it, you still might get punched. But you've got a better ch- much better chance of winning. Definitely. I want to talk a bit about Leon before soft power and then then the future. But the book, um, it, it is a chunky read. Um, there's enough pages and that sort of thing. But it's also um, a good read. There's diagrams in it as well. Um, so I, I urge people to uh, click through and buy a copy. Just before we leave, uh, based on everything to do with Wing Chun, I wanted just it, something just hit me when I was sort of thinking of questions. What tips would you have for people when negotiating over Zoom with everything that's written in the book? Yeah. Uh, do you know what? That's that is that's a really beautiful question. I guess my my first point is there's two things. There's an immediate and a long term things to help you with Zoom. The immediate is well, how do you get the best on Zoom? You need to have calmness and you need to have clarity. They're the two things in general, but particularly over Zoom, you want to be really calm, really clear. Then the question is how do you get that? Well, you need to be brought into the present moment, right? Because when you're distracted thinking about something else, you're never going to negotiate or do well on Zoom. So for me, there's two main ways you do that. Breath. So that would be practicing breathing exercises like breathing in through the nose, holding, breathing out through the mouth. Mm -hmm. So setting yourself into your time five minutes before to get yourself at least, I mean, but five minutes is realistic for most people, to get yourself in that space. And we did this with John a lot, actually, and I do it with, with, with other companies as well, which is when you start to do those breathing exercises and or movement exercises. So for me, I would do the winter form and so with John before he would go on, on the radio to be interviewed about sugar tax or things like that. Mm. Um, another thing I use is something called a bellicon. It's like a mini trampoline, a, mini, a rebounder. It's a way of getting, you know, when you have that sort of nervous energy, particularly if you've got a negotiation, nervous energy, you want to get it, get it out and get yourself feeling calm and in flow. So movement beforehand is really important. Um, so for me, not I don't mean like doing a hit clock, so I just mean getting yourself some kind of motion to get you focused in to that present moment. That was the immediate. The second thing I would say is, and this is quite important for negotiations in general, which is... Longer term, you really, really need to look at yourself. And what I mean by that is you've got to understand more about yourself, your fears, your desires, your stress points, your behaviours under stress. In a negotiation, that's absolutely key. And just because you're through a screen, that doesn't really change. Um, And if you want to go deeper than that, it's about understanding are you still carrying childhood patterns or wounds that, that kind of hold you back from negotiating the best that you can be in those scenarios. Because ultimately, you want to feel the most comfortable you can. Mm. So, as I say, it's about the immediate. I would also say there's something practical in, in Zoom about making your immediate setup around you feel comfortable because a lot of it in negotiations is about how you feel. And just because there's a screen in front, and I'm sure you've noticed the same, Paul, is, it is very different from being in front of people, but you still have... People still feel the energy from you. They still read you unconsciously. Mm. 
So there still is a very, it's different, but still ultimately very profound how you are. And the management in Zoom is all about how you are and your preparation for it. So, so the immediate preparation, getting yourself in that space, ready, calm, knowing exactly what it is, what you're negotiating for, right? Mm. And then in the long term, you know, being really honest with yourself and understanding more about where your where your stress points are, what what's going to help you get the best out of it. That's really interesting. I wonder if there is a product either for Zoom or just companies in general, maybe Slack or something like that, to basically have a five minute before a call alert where people just do deep breathing exercises and things like that. It kind of um, surprises me. I'm sure people, there are regular spaces users um, in the room today, but I wonder if um, there's like an ASMR or a deep breathing space. I haven't seen it myself, but I definitely know that that must probably exist um, if I've come up with it, that sort of thing. But um, I definitely think there's something something for that the technology that we have at the moment doesn't seem to be adding much humanity back and sort of taking a breath definitely feels like some way to sort of gain calm before you know storms and that sort of thing because zoom is not going away so we've got, we've got to learn to live better with it i think yeah i love that idea i think that's a, i think that that would be perfect if you could do that i think and i do think the outcome of those negotiations would feel very different because that energy you're carrying into any negotiation it feels really different when you can get that bit of calming before. Oh, I, I agree. From from doing just the very limited amount that I've done with you when it comes to Wing Chun and that sort of stuff, but also reading the book, I've found that I'm approaching negotiation much, much better. I'm using different language. That was the, that was the one I was certainly realised and that sort of stuff. But also just... Um, making sure that people are not worthy to become clients but it makes sense for them to become clients the 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 parity is always there if that makes sense so for me sort of having upfront contracts and things like that that's made a lot of sense and Wing Chun's definitely helped me make more robust contracts with people not not necessarily physical ones but sort of verbal and mental ones beforehand and that that's definitely helped have a better client relationship for sure brilliant yeah yeah it's uh it's been it's been it's been good um, right. Okay. You worked with Leon as director of wellness. Um, talk me through how that came about um, and what you did for them and, and what the results were, because I know the numbers were blooming impressive. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So when I first met John, um, actually, he bid for me at a charity event. Uh, There's a charity called Key for Life, which was a prison reform charity. Um, and I put myself down to auction my services to help the charity. Oh, um, I was about to say, I was like, you were bid on? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was, I was bid on. And what was even weirder is John's mum actually went, uh, because it was for a, like a, a set number of lessons and things, uh, his mum came up to me and went, doesn't say what you have to do in those time. I was like, wow, that is not what I expected from John's mum, who's about 80. Um, yeah, so she he bid on me. I then did a, a session for their head office. Um, what they call their support, their support staff, sort of introducing them to Wing Chun at their summer, at their sort of summits. And after that, um, I started teaching John personally. And then as, as it came about, John had obviously very big aspirations for Leon. One of the reasons he brought me in is, and this was his quote, is he was fed up of businesses being f- full of middle-aged white men. That was his literal quote. Mm. And he wanted to bring this different perspective and as Wing Chun was created by three females and it's the only martial arts that have that sort of heritage, the reason it approaches business not like war is because it, it thinks very, very differently. So John wanted to bring that in. So I was, I was working with John, advising John, and then it became apparent that to sort of scale the vision, John kept on trying to recruit me in, and it was never my dream to work for a corporate. Obviously, I was running my own businesses. Mm. Um 
but actually I could really see that there was a there was there was a, a really interesting mission to be had here and, and something different. So I agreed to to come in and work. And from that I would I would sit on quite a few different things. So obviously I would I'd be in the senior team and I'd be advising John and the senior team about stuff. And then there's very practical things, which was um, what can we do for people's well-being? And we'd do a combination of sort of gentle mandatory. And what I mean by that is we would, when we run meetings or events, I would lead them in exercises, which people don't have to do, but um, they always did because they wanted to. So we kind of did that sort of rather than forcing, just giving people the option to, to do that and say, as a company, this is what we believe in. And then we'll try like more of a grassroots one, find out what is it that people loved and how we can empower them. So we, you know, help people become who are Zumba instructors or on their yoga training or doing their massages and see how we could do that. So we were doing a mixture of that. And then we looked at our strategic and management principles as well. Um, I say when, and John talks about this more than me, because obviously my, mine is more the sort of implementation and John was the sort of the fundamentals of the business. But I mean, we had some really interesting results. So um, basically we, we took, so when I, when I joined, we took the company from 17 to 70, I think 72 restaurants by the time I stepped down. Um, we, we, I'd say one of the biggest changes was um, the, the growth on existing estates. So we had a, a, a 45% growth on existing restaurants that had been there more than 10 years. And the turnover had obviously massively increased. And John put that down to Wincho. I think the interesting part was we've, very much changed how we looked about things because John had been quite combative in his definitely in his language but in his way of looking at things basically almost like McDonald's was the enemy that they weren't but it was almost like they were the competitor yeah and what was interesting is do you know do you know I think one of the most fundamentally interesting things here was John and Leon stopped caring about that they only focused on what can we do we need to be the best we can their, their amazing customer service, their products, and so on. But we later met the, um, the director who'd been in charge, managing director who'd been in charge of McDonald's for Europe. And they had based their turnaround of McDonald's on Leon, which I thought was fascinating because we'd actually, the minute we'd stopped thinking we need to be like anyone else or competing with others, um, you start seeing the influence you have. Huh. Interesting. Um, you from from all of that, obviously, you had great success. You saved a load of money. You helped people's mental health and that sort of thing. But you also developed um, a kung fu barista training program with your student, seeing um, Adam Taylor. Um, yep. How? What does this help people uh, to do? And more importantly, does it increase the uh, the taste of my delicious coffee? Actually, yes, it does. Um, so, what, what the barista program did was so I, the student of mine. So, I've always. Um, encouraged my students to look, look creatively at Winchell and see how it can help them. And one day my student came up to me and said, oh, you know, I found Winchell really helps my coffee training. And he was a, a professional barista. I said, that's really interesting. And we started talking about it. And then I mentioned it to John. And John said, well, let's do it at Leon. So we went in there and I would train them for six weeks. Um, and I would do an hour on Winchell. And then they would do an hour um, applying the Winchell principles to the coffee machine. So we developed a very... Um, specific way of doing it. It's like using natural movements, economy of motion, softness, being relaxed. Um, it had a huge impact. I mean, from the people, so they were all baristas when we started training and they were up, they became up to 90 seconds quicker. 
because the coffee test back then was you had to do five coffees in six minutes. Um, everyone's quality went up. Everyone's um, everyone's heart rate went went down. So some people's went from like ninety to sixty. Um, um, and quantitative and qualitative. So we asked the managers what they felt before, and the managers didn't really know what was going on, so they were happy to let them go if they didn't really know why. And by the end, they were like, what have you done to this person? It's like a completely different person. And what you found is that, is, you know, this research, it's, it's a tough job, right? They're working under, it can be really stressful uh, situations, you know, there's lots of coffees. Mm. Um, if it goes wrong, you know, it upsets quite a few people. Um, and they're, they've got, you know, anywhere from like five in the morning until like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I'll teach them at four o'clock. And what they felt is by doing wing chun, they had a complete reset in their day. And it just really changed their appreciation of how to do it. Mm. Um, so again, it's how, the, I think the key thing here is how the, we got them to understand how physical movements can be very zen. So if you're doing something repetitive, it can be really, it can be really, really frustrating or really zen and you can get your flow. And then you start, and then it's about how do you interact with others? Because when you're feeling calmer, it makes a complete difference. And I do think as well, thing that I think in management and in life, we, we just don't really, we're not really allowed to accept, which is mistakes happen and they're part of the natural process. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. Actually, it's a good segue. Let's let's talk about soft power for a sec. So soft power is the ability to attract or co-opt um, rather than coerce, like the, the opposite contrast to hard power. Um, in, in other words, soft power involves shaping preferences of others through appeal and attraction. Do you think it's fair to draw parallels to Wing Chun? Um, do, do they interconnect? A hundred percent. Actually, funny enough, Wing Chun is both understands what external is. So I like the physical outgoing and the internal from, from the soft power. Um, what I would say about, if you're looking at hard power being the opposite of soft power, right, it, it is quite short term. And I know that personally because I wasn't always, um, I'm not uh, sort of t- uh, talking about this from a point of like holier than now. Um, I was a very dictatorial um, manager and leader of my of my organisations. I, um, I, in, in teaching, I produced 120 instructors and I burnt out pretty much all of them between three to eight years. Wow. Um, it doesn't, it, I mean, it, you can force people to do something. Like you can force an introvert to become more of an extrovert. I've done that lots of times. The, the only challenge is it's not sustainable, it's not healthy, and what's the point? I mean, what, what are you getting out of it? It's a bit like that point about we talked about with churn of stuff. If you do it that way, you can do it, but the costs never really add up when you're honest about them. And so what Wing Chun says, what we need is an honest appreciation and appraisal of how we interact in society and how that works. And can we honestly say that we think we admire people with hard power? They're like, do, do we think that? Or do we admire the people that are more naturally, you can feel the authority from them, you can feel, you know where you are, you can feel they're kind but strong. Um, I don't think we, I don't feel we really truly admire that hard power. I think it's interesting. That's a, that's a really interesting point because I kind of see in the media like you're meant to look up to strength and sort of power and that sort of thing, but then 
when you read books and certainly as we, this new era that we're coming through with awareness and resilience and that sort of stuff, the, the empathic approach to leadership and those that are sort of observant and aware seems to be given much more um, preference, but still Hollywood, strength and power. Is that just because America dominates sort of necessarily so much of the, the airwaves or Hollywood in particular? Or do you think that there's something more fundamental at, at play when people are thinking, you know, leadership and power because that's what they've learned at a young age? you know, whether the games they got to play with and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think there's a lot there. I mean, if you look at current management, right, that came out in the management way and the structures of the hierarchies came out of World War II. That's why we have the language. So the word strategy pertaining to the general, you wouldn't have heard in 1950. It started becoming more prevalent in the 1960s, right? So I think we have this hangover where, and we have a, we have a kind of message in the, in the, in the West that might is right, yeah. Because we've got a very, you know, I collect antique swords, right? And I've got a Knight's Templar sword. Literally, I'm looking at it now, right, in my office. Um, it's massive. It's honestly a pretty stupid weapon. Like, it's so big, so unwieldy, that whereas you look at the Asian ones, they were much smaller, much more lithe, much more dexterous. We think we're bigger than you, we win. That is pretty much what we are told. Like, one of my jobs when I go into the army is I go, the size matter in combat. What do you think the answer to that that most people say is Paul? Oh, God, I don't know. Go on, you tell us. <laughs> yes, most people say, yeah. It's no. a bigger, uh, that's their initial response. Then when you challenge them, we go, oh, so the, does the biggest person always win? Go, no, I'm like, well, so size doesn't really matter then, does it? Um, there's something more to it. And we've got that from a very young age. We're, we've always got this idea of being bigger, better, faster, stronger. Mm. I think that, like an 800-year historical precedent for this that's in the West. And think about our approach to foreign policies and wars and so on. There's a lot of that being... So then I think Hollywood becomes an extension of that. Yeah. It's interesting because obviously soft power is usually used in political or foreign policy terminology and that sort of stuff. It's referenced when countries like Russia use tactics uh, to sort of control leaders and neighbours and that sort of stuff. And I saw when I was thinking of what I wanted to sort of put into this season, it sort of drew parallels for soft power and business and that sort of thing. I, I, I think when... Well, let's talk about female leaders for a bit. You, you mentioned early on the book uh, that it's rare to find um, a female CEO that uses the art of war as a guiding principle or philosophy. You, you also mentioned that Wing Chun um, obviously created by women. But how can we get more men to realise that war metaphors and language aren't helping anyone, let alone the companies that they're running? That's a good question. I'll tell you how I go about it. And that's what I think Wing Chun does, is you do it on results, right? And what, what that is, is when if someone wants to win and ultimately everyone wants to win at their business, it's it's a simple fact. The logic is it just doesn't, there is no metric that will make that hard force work in the long run. And that's where I, I start from. I don't come from a holier than now. It would be much better if society was that way. It would. But mm. that's that's for me not how it it happens. It happens by showing, look, the reason that we have those challenges is no one's given us the language or the tools to do differently. So why why are we still trying the same thing? We're trying the same thing until someone shows us a different, that's how we have breakthrough technologies, right? Until someone tries something different, they don't know. Yeah. So I think that's where we're, I think we're at a sort of, I do feel we're a bit, we're, we're going through a shift in society. Um, it, which is interesting because obviously there's been lots of draconian laws that are going through right now. Yeah. Um, at the same time, you do start to feel 
that people are going, yeah, I, I don't really want to be working in that way. So I, I would say it's been sort of gradually going from, particularly in the last five years, but it's coming much more of a crescendo. And lots of movements are coming through to it. So I don't, I don't think, I mean, just look at football, right? If you look at football, if you were to take the days of Vinnie Jones, if anyone's old enough to remember, those sort of days which are like hard-hitting footballers, you could not play that game of football anymore. Absolutely. So if that's the game of football, which is a physical game, then that's starting to reflect the society, if that makes sense. So now I think our job is to give people the tools because otherwise you're setting people up for an unfair judgment and setup, which is, you shouldn't be like that. Oh, well, I'm not going to give you another, another way of doing it. It just shouldn't be like that. Um, so I think most people default to force because that's all they know. Because at school, what were you told? You were told, do it or else you're in detention mm-hmm. or this or you're suspended or you're kicked out. Or, um, so we, we need to give people other experiences. I agree. That's interesting. So you mentioned um, Lincoln in the book. Um, I remember when I read it the first time, I was very much like, oh, my God, I didn't know any of that. He's a very unlucky man before, obviously, he became president. Um, Persistence is the message. Um, When you have a beleaguered workforce, um, how can or perhaps should, uh, might be a better word, leaders promote resilience and persistence to win? Because right now, I think a lot of people feel like they're treading water or even losing. That's such a good question. Obviously, it's, it's dependent on each company as to where they are. I think I think you need to take a moment to reflect as, as a leader. I, I do think it's the one time, you, I, I'm sure you know this before, but it's the one time that when you need to make those times, people don't. So I think you need to go, okay, what is it we can do within our power now to start changing it? Because most people don't even ask the question. And I think the answer to these things starts by addressing it by asking those questions. There is quite a lot of modalities that can help. As you said, just even that creative thinking about thinking, can we do five minutes before Zoom? Those sort of small points, I would I would always say what you do is start with a small group in your company, see what works. Start simply, have a, have a concept, see how that works, trial it, and then, then move on to the next. I mean, that's that's the, the simple way. I mean, it's the tech way, right? You do the split testing, you, you work it out. I mean, that's how I would start doing it understand fundamentally what is the issue what how much of it's in my control yeah and then and, and then and then start saying here's some because there is really simple solutions to most things i i i must admit i agree and i love again love that chapter in the book about simplicity and it really does sort of resonate i think there are a lot of people who are like oh it's got to be a technological solution you're like often not it's like have a conversation with someone ask them direct questions you know that sort of thing it's it doesn't always have to be the most convoluted or answers that take a long time i think that's that's one thing i I did get from the book as well um i I, I think that we're just just to pick up on that point i think that's so important because if you start to actually look at like the metrics on well-being do you know what the biggest thing that affects someone's well-being is at work it's their manager Mm. so ultimately if you're talking about a longer term like medium to long term you need to be helping managers have some of these tools to do it. Um, because it's, you know, if you're, if I could say to you, do you know what, I'm going to give you the best nutrition. You're going to have organic nutrition delivered to you. I'm going to give you this meditation app. I'm going to give you this personal trainer. If, you, if you're not having those, those good conversations, you're not feeling connected, none of that will make a difference. Mm. So I want to talk about, um, I, I think that's a good point. And I think that's a nice point to sort of leave the work section on because I think there are a lot of middle managers in here or people who are managing their own or managing clients. And that's definitely going to be helpful advice for that. Um, when I think of you, I always think like top of your game, 
master of the field and that sort of stuff. But where does a master of Wing Chun go next? <laughs> That's interesting. I was, um, I'll, I'll give you an example of what you do next, is I was asked to do a, um, do a, uh, some filming with a celebrity and yeah. I had to bring in a, a, a different master. So they needed me to find uh, a Tai Chi master. Mm-hmm. And what I'm always doing is I'm always doing combination of looking inward and looking outward. So I'm, I know what I want to work on and I just find ways of looking at it. So recently I was discussing and I found some really interesting things. Funny enough about soft power. Mm. So they came at the time. So he's like a 76 year old grandmaster that I was. So I've had five hour conversations with him sitting down discussing how this works and so on. So I, I think there's, there's going deeper into the practice is the honest answer. Like for me, you go, you go in more. I have, obviously I have my teacher, but he's in Hungary at the minute. I'm not traveling too much uh, because of the circumstances. So I think you just have to go in and, and you've got to want, right? I mean, I think, I think where most people get to is they lose that desire to want to, I think it's not even desire. They lose the enthusiasm and that kind of childish enthusiasm and excitement. Mm. And I think that's the, I think that's almost the death of people. For me, I'm always super excited to find new things, understand more about new things, apply it to new things, try new things. To me, that's how my whole career has been built on experimenting and trying things and, and believing in myself to try it. I mean, that's, that's for me where I... Like in the last year, there's two, two parts of my career that I'd say I learned the most, like uh, intellectually as well as some practical stuff. One, writing the book... There's so much I learned during that book. Loads of good stuff that, and you stuff like from the numerology of winter and how unbelievable it is, which probably an initial like me, not interested to anyone, but it was absolutely fascinating how well they put this system together with these profound messages. And then in the last year and a half, because I've been teaching over Zoom, it has completely transformed the way I look at teaching. So I recently taught a class. My class is so different than when I taught um, 18 months ago. Because I've had to say, how do I look at people to correct them and feel them and get them involved? It's massively changed my teaching skills mm. and my ability. To, and actually, I found something I've been doing for 22 years. I just found a better way of doing it. It's, it's crazy. Um, so th- that's how I would, I would say embrace. That's why you have to embrace it. No, definitely. Actually, I forgot to um, mention earlier, didn't I, that you actually are doing um, classes over Zoom, which people can join for free. Um, so I, put, I popped a link up in the nest. Um, so if anybody wants to join those, they can obviously just go to seafoodjulianhitch.com forward slash try Wing Chun. And that's W-I-N-G-T-S-U-N. So yeah, every Friday, is that right? Yes. So we've got them on uh, Fridays at 12.30 and at 6 for half an hour. Excellent, excellent. That's a that's a that's a. Oh, I've done, I should say I have done multiple of them, and they are incredibly good to not just send to yourself the halfway through the day, but also the end of the day, and obviously the end of the week, which is always nice. It's a nice sort of reset point. So I thoroughly recommend those as well. You, you can have your camera on, camera off. It's completely up to you. Um, but yeah, it's, it, they're very good, and I, I recommend them as well. Um, I have one final question for you before I go to Desert Island tweets. Um, Yip Man, um, with Chinese martial artist grandmaster to the martial art Wing Chun. Um, he had several students, obviously, that became martial arts masters in their own right and that sort of thing, most famous being Bruce Lee. Um, I think some would refer to him as the daddy of Wing Chun. Um, if you could ask him one question, what would it be? Oh, what a question. Um, it wasn't mine, it was Andrew's, so there you go. <laughs> if I could ask him one question. Um, 
actually my interest would be about asking him about some of the philosophy that he knows but doesn't teach because a lot of his period of teaching i think he was he for me he was an introverted master so he was he's kind of known as the reluctant master so he kind of did he wanted to study but didn't really want to teach in many ways mm. so i want to know more about about that philosophy about where where he saw it came from how does it how how does he see Wing Chun influences people outside the physical his physical was was profound but i think there's there's parts that i just don't that he knew but rarely taught that's where i want to have conversations a bit like we're having today i'd want, I'd want to go deeper into that yeah no definitely well if the space stays up then we're all right you could probably do it um right okay folks it's time for julian's desert island tweets uh the part of mouthwash where guests pick a tweet or two that's changed their mind or way of thinking in some way so if you please turn your attention to the nest um you should see one up there from twitter safety uh, which was all about donald trump's account being um suspended julian tell us about this tweet and why you picked it yeah I, well, I think it, on the topic of power, it was quite poignant. And it, funny enough, it was poignant to me when that happened because it felt like a watershed moment. And what I mean by that is when covert power suddenly became overt power. Mm-hmm. And I think, that's, I think that's really fundamental for society. And, and there's, there's lots of things to it. I think the first thing is it brings up a lot of sort of beautiful existential questions. And that's what I liked about it because it's not about any, it's not about the opinion or the story of it. It's about the questions, and for me, it's always about the questions. Um, and it's like the very nature of our mind and reality. Um, I, and I think it does bring up the concept of Zen and how whatever we think is not true. Our world is an illusion uh, that we're trying to that we quite often see through these blinkers. Um, and and our, our nature of power and perception. Because how fascinating is it? Because if you were to take most people's poll around the world, I would guess they would say the president of, of the United States is one of, if not the most powerful person in the world, mm-hmm. right? And to be able to censor his voice is is massive, right? Because it's a person that access to people, just to advice, right? He has, I think, 70 medical advisors to the president, unlike what we have in the UK for the prime minister. So I think... The ability to to censor someone with that is just it's just absolutely fascinating, um, and I think it gets it builds up to the question of trust. Who do we trust and why? And um, about yeah, are our thoughts our own? I just think it was really profound about that, and I think then it goes deeper than that, which is um, what what freedom is and isn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, and can and should you control people and did it work out of an interest did, do we, is, is it did it yes it kicked him off twitter and other social media platforms did it work i mean has it what's the ramifications of of that does that make people go yes which i'm sure lots of people went yes and other people go how could you does it create alternative platforms and alternative ways so i think it's really um really fascinating one that i yeah that's for me what what it brought up and as always from the topic of this i thought it brought up that that perfect opportunity to go inside more and understand yourself deeper and get gain up gain deeper awareness and observation as to ways that you've thought about the world that that may perhaps not be the case 
Yeah, it's, it certainly was a watershed moment. I, I agree with you on that one. I think the ramifications are going are still being uh, looked at from many people and that sort of thing. But but I, for one, I must admit, agreed with the decision um, to take him down um, based on his behaviour. Nothing else, you know, that's the thing. But yeah, um, right. That's a great sentiment, actually, to leave uh, the conversation on. Thank you for being a part of Mouthwash, Julian. Um, any final thoughts or advice for listeners when it comes to soft power? Yeah, I, I would say you're okay. You don't need to force. Uh, you, you have everything you need within you. And when you just listen to that and you don't get stuck by the fear that you're not enough or you need something external, you are phenomenally powerful. I just think we underestimate how unbelievably amazing and powerful we are because we're told we're not often. And if you just go inside, you, you'll see, I mean, it's funny words, but you'll kind of see the magic that you have. You don't need anything outside to be powerful, to be charismatic, to be powerful, and ultimately to have influence, which I think in many ways power is influence more than, more so than ownership. Um, you've got all of that. You just need to find the way that it works for you, which will be different than it works for me or for you, Paul. Mm. And if all of us do that, I mean, we will we'll start creating a happier, harmonious world because it's only when we feel we need to look outside ourselves that you start seeing divisions happen and you start seeing uh, the nastiness happening. Yeah. A, a very poignant something to, to end the show on tonight considering recent events as well and that sort of thing. But yeah. Right. Okay. Doke. That was episode eight of season two. Thank you for listening. How do we do? Let me know and the world by using the world, uh, the hashtag mouthwash show. I am incredibly thrilled to have uh, the amazing cohort of brains joining me for season two. Uh, I've curated a bevy of brains from Babylon Health to Beauty Stack CEO, Sharmadine Reed. Um, up next is Christina Garrett. She works for HubSpot and she's in charge of their community outreach. And uh, later on, we also have uncertainty expert slash pirate Sam Conniff. So make sure you check out mouthwashshow.com for more details. Uh, there's also downloadable calendars there, links to previous episodes, and there's also podcast episodes available now on Spotify, Apple Music, and all quality podcast platforms. Once again, thank you to the amazing Seafood Julian Hitch. If you haven't already, buy the book, attend a croon session on Fridays. Um, uh, they are transformative and you learn by doing. It's absolutely amazing. Definitely go. Uh, and you can always find out more over at seafoodjulianhitch.com. Please show your appreciation one more time and a shower of emojis for Julian as the lo-fi music plays us out. Thank you for joining and thanks to the geniuses over at Ecology for planting a tree for every listener we get on season two. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you confident only on Twitter spaces. Julian, thanks and brilliant for your time. I really appreciate it. There'll be some lo-fi music and then we will play out. All right. Brilliant. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everyone.